0: and nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Uh, we put up a podcast on Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, there's always something going on with the Blue Jackets. This is Aaron Portzine of The Athletic, joined by Allison Lukian of The Athletic. Hello. And boy, how dedicated is Allison? She's, she's been out in California prepping for this road trip for about five days now, am I correct?
1: <laughs> I, I had some other things I had to do along the way, but yeah. yes. Nose to the grindstone, yes.
0: Very impressive. So we we will be dug in on this upcoming California trip. First, the Detroit Red Wings tonight in Nationwide Arena. Um, Tortorella got a question yesterday that he thought uh, was looking past Detroit, and he, boy, did he bristle at that notion. Um, the Red Wings are quite possibly the worst team in the league. I know that seems strange to hear, especially if you're a long-time uh, Blue Jackets fan, but uh, still, this being the National Hockey League, the Blue Jackets will have to, to bring it tonight. And I think they've played pretty well here the last couple of games. They've certainly played hard. Um, the one thing that keeps popping out here, and it's it is uh, I looked at this yesterday from the perspective of how does it compare to last year. The Blue Jackets have allowed 38 goals in 10 games. That puts them bottom 10 in the league. But it puts them 15 goals ahead of last year's pace they they've allowed 15 more goals in 10 games than they did at this point last year and that's a goal and a half a game which in at this level of this sport is massive it's a huge huge difference now that obviously cannot continue will not continue but I think it would be interesting to see what the issues are there. They had the one blow-up game in Tampa where they gave up eight goals. The penalty kill has had moments where it's collapsed. I think both goaltenders, goaltenders both think they could be better. Let's put that there for now. Uh, and the defensemen have have had injuries, and we we've, we've well chronicled the losses that they absorbed over the offseason with Jack Johnson and Ian Cole both leaving uh, via free agency um Allison when you look at that 38 goals allowed almost 4 a game no way to sustain winning in this league and yet they're 6 and 4 what do you see as the primary cause of that why are they having such a hard time keeping pucks out of the net
1: yeah i i i think it is a myriad of factors like you just said but don't think it's easy i've seen some people and and i get why hang that on the goaltenders first and foremost. And uh, if I may step on my soapbox (laughs) for a second, uh, this is why we don't want to look at goals against because at the end of the day, that can be exactly what you just talked about. It can be a ton of different factors that contribute to why there are so many pucks in the net. What we want to look at when we're really trying to evaluate a goaltender is how are they performing based on the shots that they're facing? So we can look at what is their save percentage compared to what it should be based on the quality of shots that they're facing. Now, in that measure, still not awesome, <laughs> right? Um, Corpy is at just below expectations. He's he's point four percent off what is expected there. Um, but struggling h- harder is Sergei Bobrovsky? He is all. He is over three percent off the save percentage that he's usually expected to have. And if we look back at how this team has succeeded, that kind of a measure, that measure of what does Bob do above and beyond what he's supposed to do, Bob has yep. always been at the top of that list.
0: So now, let me cut ahead. in for just a second. Does, yeah. is this is this and is this where he's at? Relative to where he typically is, or where an average goaltender would be,
1: it's where he, as a player, should be based if, on the shots he's facing this season.
0: Based upon his historical data,
1: it's there is some of that, but it is also it looks at what's happening in front of him. Is he getting a lot of high danger shots, for example? Is he is he getting shots that are low danger based on everything that's happening? How many of those pucks should he be expected to stop? Okay. Um, and he and is
0: below. Is, is he's below his standard or the average standard NHL goaltender? It is a
1: it is his expected standard for this season yeah. based on what's happening in front of him.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so because my my uh, eyeballs without without going through the the deep stats, if you will, tell me that Bob's letting in a bad goal or two a game.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, that is, that is fair. Cause here's the thing is that we can also look at the goaltender save percentage in terms of the danger level of the shot, right? So high danger happens right there in front of the net, all in the blue, right? Like that's why Torts wants the guys to shoot there. Low danger is as far out as you can get. And Corpy is at 100% there. Bob is at 95% there, which compared to all the goaltenders in the league right now this season, that's on the low end. So he is letting in shots that should, in theory, be the easiest to save. More so than other goaltenders right now.
0: And my sense with Corpy is that he's he not the is that he's letting in a, a bad goal a game, probably two on average. Sure. But he's also making, A, really, really highlight reel saves, great saves. Um, but also, and some of those are included in this too, but also really big saves at really big moments. Like, I think back to the St. Louis game and the unbelievable save on Petrangelo. Yes. Yes. But he had a couple at 4-3. He had a couple the other night in, um, at home against Buffalo after the Sabres came back to 4-4 um is there a, is there a measure of the timeliness of saves as well
1: <laughs> unfortunately no um I'm greedy here it, it it would be that's where we get some of that soft science of and, and i agree with you i think it matters but how do you measure that right like what's the tension level or <laughs> yeah, of the game sure. um yeah. but yeah you know it it if we want to even try and look at that at numbers in a number sense, you know, Corpy is right now outperforming Bob in medium danger saves too. So if you think about that, you know, it's, here's a shot. Can he save it? Can he not? And, and he is. Um, And what this all translates to, you were talking earlier about is this above average when this does all equal out, in the league relative to other goaltenders right now the way corpy is playing he's just about half a goal under average in terms of goals prevented actual goals whereas bob right now and again this is a category bob has i mean bob has been leaps and bounds ahead of every goaltender in this kind of a measure for years and deservedly so Bob over the season so far has let in 4.6 goals more than an average goaltender should right now.
0: So we round up to five goals. It's rough. He's played six games. Yeah. Yeah. And And again,
1: Tampa throws that, you know, I mean, there's so many
0: nuances.
1: It's not all a Bob issue. I want to be sure I say that this is not all a Bob
0: issue. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the other thing too is uh, if Corpy doesn't let in the goal, The 4 3 goal, which I think he wants back. Right. Then the saves he makes at 4 3 aren't that momentous.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah, you're patting the guy in the back for something that he created, (laughs) in in a sense. Uh, But just the plain numbers, and of course, you know, these could always be evaluated more closely. The Blue Jackets have an 880 save percentage as a team. Yeah. That's 28th in the league. I mean,. Oh, well, Philadelphia is worse than the league. Philadelphia is always worse than the league. It's only been like 39 years since they've had a goalie. Um, but they're at 856. Columbus is well below, you know, what used to be the the benchmark, the the 900 save percentage. They're way below that, so that's got to get better. I mean, certainly there's been some disruption on the back end. Yeah. And you know, beyond, I think more than the free agent departure, certainly was the injury to Seth Jones. Yes, um, but but the departure of those guys did absolutely, you know, force them to to reconfigure and and have some rough patch where, where guys are starting to formulate pairs. Now they feel like they've got uh, their pairs sort of settled. I hesitate to say that emphatically, especially the third pair probably always deserves an asterisk. But for now, he's, he's got of course Morinsky with Jones. He's got Murray with Nudavara they've been pretty good. And now he's got Harrington with Savard, which I actually kind of liked the last couple of games. Harrington had a shift in St. Louis, which, which was absolutely a, a clown car <laughs> shift and almost destroyed his stick. But otherwise I haven't really noticed him, which is a good thing for him. Right. Uh, but I think the two of those guys, I think Harrington and Savard can be, can be pretty good together. How, how, how disruptive do you think it's been on that that back game with Jones out and with with Savard moving up and down and the departures and just trying to sort of get guys together and into three pairs
1: yeah yeah i, I mean i think you know it it has been disruptive if i mean first and foremost just you just enumerated you know guys are playing with different guys that takes some time particularly when you're looking at a a Wierenski who played his entire career basically with one guy right so there's just a change a a human element to learning how to play with someone new Murray and Nudevara were the only two coming into this season that really had significant time together so that matters Um, I, I also think figuring out that third pairing was a work in progress you know we we just finished hitting on Bob, but how many how many odd man breakaways did we see oh. this team give up, particularly early? And, you know, we, we talk about Bob, but at the same time, the Jackets, in terms of giving up high-danger goals, goals from the highest-danger areas, they're fourth in the league right now. That's not good.
0: <laughs> so yeah, right.
1: it does speak to mm. also a tightening up of defense. You know, I have always believed that Jones – Jones will think a little bit more defensively first, allowing Wierenski to do his thing. And I think we felt that when he was out, because we know that Torts wants Wierenski to play a little bit stronger defensively, get stronger in that part of his game. Right. So so that was hard to shore up in that pair. Nudie and Murray are Nudie and Murray. And then that third pair was a work in progress. So I think, yes, part of this also is the unsurety if you will of the defensive pairs and hopefully now this starts to calm down
0: yeah I think you also can look at the right up the front there at the forwards with the the center play and you know I guess there's no nice way to say it Riley Nash has been a disappointment I think in the first 10 games I thought he played better for sure against uh Buffalo for sure he had that one I mean you know, you joke about these things. It's not really funny, I guess, if you're the player. But he had a shift against the Sabres where he just blew up, um, is it Ristolainen? Yeah. Blew up Ristolainen, and you're like, oh, oh my God, that was Riley Nash? Like, wow, yeah. I've not yeah. seen that. And then seconds later, he's on a two-on-one. I, th- I think he couldn't get off when the top line came on. Um, you know, as players joke, yeah, he couldn't get off because the top line was coming on. Uh, I'll just stay <laughs> out here with Cam and Panarin. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Whoopsie. Um, and next thing you know, right after blowing up Bristol Lane, and he's on a, a two-on-one with Atkinson, and really made a nice pass over to Atkinson for, I think it was the 2-1 goal. Mm. Uh, but he was, he was more noticeable to me in that game than he had been. And John Tortorella, speaking of him yesterday, said that, it was pretty – he didn't say we had a meeting about this. Right, right. Pretty clearly that they – pretty clear that they did. Uh, and Riley Nash told him he was a slow starter, that he's always been a slow starter. Um, so maybe he's coming out of it now. But not a good sign that that he stayed on the fourth line even with Jubinski out. And they had to put Jenner and Foligno in that spot to sort of get by. That's not the idea they had when they signed him. Um, but you, so you, you look at his struggles and you look at, at – Dubinsky's injury, and certainly not having that down the middle. You, you talk about all the two-on-ones they've given up. I have to believe that's a big part of it as well.
1: Absolutely. I, I it, it's interesting too in in asking around about Riley Nash. I I was I was high on Riley Nash coming into the t- into the team this season. Yeah. The slow start thing isn't a thing we heard, <laughs> but. Um, if it's a thing and if it rounds out um, because this is exactly where he was supposed to shine, like you said. And you yeah. know, when, when we're hearing Felino, you know, I, I teased Nick Foligno at, in the preseason. I said, Oh, Nick, aren't you thrilled? You don't have to play center anymore. And he laughed, but
0: right.
1: he, he does like being on the wing. And there were reasons before the Jenner was no longer in the middle of the ice. So I didn't love that. Um, and I do think that contributes also.
0: Yeah. Uh, speaking of Dubinsky, he has skated now uh, for the last five or six days. He took a morning skate with the Blue Jackets on Saturday, which was the first uh, – the real first positive step toward a player returning is, of course, their first full practice. And he was out there yesterday, full practice with the Blue Jackets. That's a really good sign. When we spoke to him uh, Saturday, it was, um, yeah, there's no timetable on my return, but it's good to be out there. And I said – you, uh, you think you'll make the California trip? Because this team has a lot in the past wanted their guys to start traveling with the team as a ramp up to them coming back. Um, I said, Do you think you make the California trip? Oh, I'll be disappointed if I don't play. you like, Oh, there's a the timeline. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know if he's in tonight. I think it's possible that he's in tonight against Detroit. Um, certainly not not settled. But it sure looks like he's going to make the trip and play at some point on the trip, which is really good news for them because now things get back to normal. I assume they put him back between Jenner and Anderson. Yeah. I assume they put Flino up on a line with Wenberg. But I don't know who gets the bump there, if it's Duclair or if it's Bjorkstrand um, from that second line. That will be interesting to see. Uh, Sonny Milano has been out of the lineup for the last couple of games. Uh, i I happen to think that that this is gonna be just what it was you know last season. It doesn't feel like anything's changed with that situation with with Milano and his playing time uh I think Marcus Anakinen's played pretty well honestly and is it, it gives a little bit of definition to that fourth line with yeah. Sedlak, Anakinan and o'Reilly that 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 sounds like a fourth line yeah uh, instead of instead of a holding tank um so anything else we need to get to Blue Jackets-wise? Not sure who starts in goal tonight. It sure looked like Bobrovsky yesterday. It's hard to imagine Bob sitting for three starts in a row if he's healthy. It's not yeah. something we've seen here. Yeah. Uh, so I, I assume he starts tonight against Detroit. We'll get a, a better idea uh, here in about an hour and a half. It's funny, the Blue Jackets, of course we know this, Allison, the Blue Jackets do not take morning skates. However, they have <laughs> been skating on mornings.
1: Yeah. <laughs> optionally, optionally.
0: Yes. Everyone's at the rink though. Right. Yes. So there's no way we're doing morning skates, but we are going to get here together to skate in the morning.
1: Well, and it's, it's interesting. We talked about this a few weeks ago and at the time everyone was like, Oh, this isn't going to last. It's not a big deal. And, And I've been trying to remember, maybe you remember the exact verbiage. So help me here. But when torts got rid of the morning skates, He said, you know, as long as the team plays to where I need them to play and they're responsible in their preparation and things of this nature, we don't need to have morning skates. And if they fall off, then we have morning skates again. And, you know, we do know that Torts has talked about wanting this extra time to prepare from a special teams perspective. But how long is this going to go on? I don't know. But it's it's interesting.
0: And I don't care one way or the other. I mean, no, for I, sure. You know, whatever. It's it's more access for us. So in that sense, it's it's really good. It Makes our jobs easier. But I just I laugh at this idea of like, no, no, we don't do morning skates. But we are getting together to because to, we need time. I'm like, well, that's what they are. Like that's why teams right. do them. Right, right. It's like, well, that's what it is though. And you are doing them. Um, like he was really. In- <laughs> really emphatic about it last year that they're a waste of time right and he even said a couple times i'd have to go back and look at listen to all of the tapes we've got but he's even said a few times like i don't want guys to do it if they absolutely have to do it there's ice here for them but i don't want them to do it i want them to conserve their energy and be ready to go at night right um but there are some guys who especially on the road were like oh my god i'm bored right like i'm in a hotel room I need something to do and I yeah. want to play video games all day. Right. I can only have lunch with my boy Sedzi a couple of times on a day. Like what <laughs> are we going to do here? Um, and so they would go over anyways, but it it is, it is funny how it's morphing. Maybe someone's trying to figure out a way to not justify it, but to explain it that they are now having morning skates. But.
1: Well, and it, I mean it is it is important to clarify too that what the skating part is still optional, right? So right. they're coming in for meetings and as we know Torch would always talk about and in the very tiniest way that I can understand it it makes sense. You don't want to have to come in, put your gear on, go skate, get all sweaty so- and then you're back less than 12 hours later putting the same gear on, doing the whole thing again. Right. So that is still optional. We're still just, we're mainly in, there are meetings, (laughs) right? But, um, the skating part is optional for now.
0: Yeah. But but whereas last year were four or five guys would skate for sure. There's like 12 or 13 guys now. And a lot of the guys are saying they're just at the rink. So they're like, well, I'm here. This is what I do when I'm here. Right. I'll take the ice. Right. Um, but yeah, so something to watch. And and you know, let's be honest. They this is a weird California trip. After tonight's game against Detroit, they leave Wednesday. They're not skating at all Wednesday. They they fly to California, and it's pretty rare that you fly there on on one day and start a three and four the next day. Yeah. Usually, if you fly and play the next day, there's there's quite a bit of gap between you know, the next couple of games. So this is a hell of a road trip. Um, I don't remember them playing three and four in California with just one day of travel to get out there. And I think I should have the, I should have the schedule in front of me. They play Anaheim Sunday. Do they not have a game here Tuesday?
1: They, I'm going to confirm that, but I'm pretty sure. Yes. The stars are here on Tuesday.
0: That is brutal.
1: And then they have a back to back that weekend. So, yeah, I mean, it's, we've, I don't think we've ever seen a California trip that took less than a week.
0: Right. Well, right. I mean, you're knocking off the games in four days. And the hard part is you've got one day to get out there and you've got one day back before games. And probably the day, the game coming back is going to be harder for sure. Than the game going out there. Cause as I say, you can always use three more hours in a day.
1: <laughs> right? That's why you want to I mean. live out West. Right.
0: Right. And I have to tell this story. It's a baseball story. It has nothing to do with any of this. It's just one of my favorite stories. There's a guy that pitched for the Clippers, or the, yeah, named Jeff Juden. This guy jumped all over the place, and he was, um, how to put this nicely, not a road scholar. And there are many examples of this. But when I was speaking to him near the end of his time in Columbus, he was going to be a free agent. He said, uh, "Dude, if a California team comes at me, it's going to be hard to say no. I, I just want to, I want to sign and I want to play in California." I said why california he goes well, dude you get it's like 4:30 here it's 1:30 out in california right now and i'm like well, yeah the time change and he says you get 3 more hours every exactly. free day and i'm like well jeff you don't get 3 more hours every day there's just 3 hours back and it it didn't hit he thought there were literally 3 more hours a day in california so good <sighs> anyways um, Allison, you wrote a great story. Uh, Ohio state is an Ohio state women's hockey story. Yes, but it's more about the uniform that they wore, the sweater that they wore that earned them some grief, uh, against Minnesota. Great story. It's on the athletic website. I encourage you to read it. Tell us about that. And where, where's this going? They got <laughs> penalized for, it. are they going to do it again?
1: Well, it was a fun story. And I I mean, I continue to say if you're not paying attention to college hockey in general, um, and specifically in this case, the women's team at Ohio State, you're you're missing out on some great hockey and some great hockey stories. Um, The women had a third jersey designed. What is interesting to understand that surprised me is these jerseys were actually designed two years ago because the designs had to be done with Nike prior to the Olympics uh, because Nike said, we're busy with the Olympics in 17. So we have to get everything designed now. And why that was unique for Ohio state is that their current head coach had literally just come on the job. The season was already underway. They'd had some turmoil in the program. Nadine Muzerall comes in to kind of try and right the ship and she's got 2000 things she has to do. And one of which is design jerseys. And what shocked me, I was you and I talked about this as it was happening, is at Ohio State, a huge university, and I would presume this is at other universities. Each coach just works with Nike, like there's no like central like let's make sure everything's good here, but the teams work with Nike to design their jerseys. So yeah. Nadine ultimately approves a jersey design that turns out to be illegal, and so if you were watching, uh, or following along with the game activity two weekends ago. I mean, this lit up with the women's hockey community because you literally could not see the women's names or numbers as they played their game in Minnesota. Yeah, that's a um, problem. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, there was all kinds of underpinnings to this. It was a design. It was a surprise for the team. It was as Muserall likes to say, she likes to play Santa Claus a little bit with her teams and, uh, it's her alma mater. It's where she coached. It's where her assistant coach went to school and coached as well. It's, you know, a big battle. It's it's starting to kind of get the feel of, to equate it to something else, but like an Ohio State-Michigan football game. This is a rivalry. Nice. This is two solid programs. Ohio State, in this case, really trying to establish themselves as a power um, in women's hockey. And so after the game... After the game, so they skate warm-ups, no one says anything. They skate the game, no one says anything. After the game, the coach gets a call from the league and says, these jerseys are illegal, you can't wear them. And if you wear them, you're going to have to start the second game of the weekend on the penalty kill. You're going to have to take a bench minor. And so Coach Muzz goes to her team, they talk about it, and they basically say, screw it, we're doing it, we're not modifying the jerseys, we're not going to get a second set of jerseys and put those on, were wearing these jerseys. So they took the penalty. They had dropped the first game, um, 3 nothing. in fact. Second game, they come out in these jerseys. They um, wear them. They kill the penalty. They allow just two shots, get the first goal of the game, and go on to win the game 3-2. And this is all going down, and I'm kind of watching it like, what is happening? This is crazy. And then after the game, here comes Coach Muzz, just defiant, uh, saying she loves them, the team loves them, I talked to some of the players. They loved it. I talked to Tessa Bonhomme, who's on TSN, who's a Buckeye alum, a former Olympian.
0: Sure.
1: Same thing. She's like, that was freaking awesome. I wish I'd been able to play in those. So the way this has rallied the Buckeye hockey community is just fantastic. Um, and it's been fun. I got to sit with Coach Muzz last week and see the jerseys in person. I, I kind of get it. I mean, I up close, yes, I get it. But I also that you just couldn't see them. Um, but the team shared a video of the girls seeing them for the first time, which was pretty cool. and where we are now is they' they're trying to decide if these will ever see the ice again. The girls love them so much. Um, Muzz is almost hesitant to to change them up, um, but they could. So they may be changed up or this might be the only time we saw them, but uh, there'll be third jerseys next year and Muzz promises that there you can certainly expect something unexpected. She's really trying to establish Ohio State as a progressive program, a program that is focused on doing things that make it even better to be part of that team and that community. And I'm here for it. I think it's great. And it's even readers reactions, fellow alumni reactions. Everyone's like, can I buy one? Where are they? These are awesome. So it's a fun story to watch. It'll be interesting to see if they if they do wear them again or if these just become a a very very limited edition that I, I know everyone's clamoring of. Will they auction them off? Can we get one? So so we'll see.
0: It had to be a fun story to write too. Who ratted them out? Or oh, this was the league that that made the call. They're saying that Minnesota didn't complain or correct. Like
1: so yeah. the the official the the word from the league and and they issued a statement to our colleague uh, Nate Wells who is in Minnesota who was at the game, right. Uh, right. saying that it came from the officials. Um, but you know, Coach Muzz is she, she's she's not afraid to say what she thinks, and she her point remains that that doesn't feel right because she feels like if the officials had a problem, why wouldn't they have said something during warmups or why wouldn't they have said something yeah. during the right. game? Um, but the league's official word is it came from the officials that were at the game, um, and it is what it is.
0: Now let me be a voice of dissent for just a moment, not yes, to be a- please. Bur- not to be a bore. Yes. Is it not reckless to start a game? I get it. I get it. But to knowingly start a game on the penalty kill, that, whew, I have a hard time with that. Tell yep. me where I'm wrong.
1: No, I, I get it. And I think it's all about what's your risk threshold, <laughs> right? Right. Um, right. Ohio State has reason to believe in their penalty kill. They have been strong on that side of special teams for quite some time. Um, so I think in terms of the actual strategy, um, choosing to kill the penalty wasn't a high, high-risk situation. I think that in Muzz's mind, this is one of those like Torts describes of, these are the penalties you kill off. You
0: kill Damn. that one.
1: That's right. right. These are The team right. is jacked to kill that penalty. But, you know, I think, again, like I said, I think for, for Muzz too, this was about showing her team, the women on her team, what yeah. she's about, what the team wants to be about. And if they all love those jerseys and believed in one another, then I believe in you go do it. And and that's what Tessa Bonhomme said too. She's like, it, she, I think the exact quote was it lit a fire under their butts. Um, yeah. and, and she loved it. And I think that that's too, again, for a program that has had some really hard years that finally makes it to the frozen four last year these are the things that you do to start making a mark on the college hockey landscape and say, pay attention to us.
0: Yeah. And, and there's nothing more powerful than us against the world. Exactly. And this, is a, this is a strange thing. Cause like you, you know, you've come up with the jerseys. It really? in a sense you kind of did it to yourself, but still it has the feel of, of a, of the league body being against you.
1: Exactly. And you know, and that's, I said to Muzz, I'm like, I mean, listen, did you not know the rule? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I have to ask you this, Maz. Yeah. And, she's, and right. she said, she's like, look, it's on me. She's like, at the end of the day, she's like, I did go back and forth with Nike. I, I, I Allison, personally did try and reach out to Nike. We couldn't get a response. Because it, it is interesting there, right? Like, should Nike know the rule? Could should yeah. Nike knowingly right. design an illegal jersey? I don't know. Um, but she owns it. She owns that she approved that and didn't fully think through the rule. Um, but they lived it and they won. So they won the second yeah. game. So that's, that's a good outcome.
0: Oof. I remember this was several years ago now. A cross-country state championship kid won and was somehow stripped of his or her medal because the socks she or he were, were wearing did not match with everybody else on the team crazy it was those those were the rules i think the, the, i'm not sure if that was overturned or not but yeah this is fascinating stuff i i want to see those jerseys up close now too
1: yeah there's there's a picture i i finally got to see them in person last week and yeah. like i said up up close i mean again it doesn't mean well. sure they should have been legal but up close it's easier to understand yeah the decision and and it's it's weird too because you know for these coaches when they're going through this design process they approve designs that they never physically see right uh-huh. it's all on computer screen on paper sure and you know it was funny i had had people reach out and show examples i mean the women's soccer team at ohio state right now is playing in a gray on gray jersey where the numbers are just outlined by a yellow a neon oh. yellow green outline so it's it's happening out this is a thing apparently right <laughs> so We'll see. Wow.
0: All right. Well, good stuff there. And uh, that and more is at theathletic.com. We urge you to be a subscriber. Big news in the athletic world today. I'm sure it will be out uh, later on the the business side of the athletic that we should all be quite excited about. Um, but anyways, uh, for Allison and, and Aaron on here, Tom Reed, I promise. I think I may have said this before, but Tom Reed will be back. Uh, Friday for our next podcast he is back stateside he has fulfilled his obligation to the great assignment that I'm really looking forward to reading and <laughs> can't wait to share it with you uh, thanks for listening to us today we will talk to you in a couple days Allison send us out of here if you want
1: absolutely here's David Cook